It is a season called Theology for Everyone because theology is for everyone. That's you, that's me, that's everyone in between. It is not reserved for professors or pastors or European theologians from the 1800s. Theology is for everyone. You live theologically as a Christian. Your goal is to live as a theological being. So theology is for everyone. We have to remove the stigma of fear that follows that word. You hear theology and it's like, oh, brother, don't go there. I'm not ready for that. Or, or the opposite end, someone's like, well, it's just not too theological for me. And I always say, what do you mean by that? Like, and, and I've never had somebody have a very clear definition outside of, like, I don't know, I just wanted to feel smarter. Like, what, what do you mean when you say it's not theological enough? Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Those are the things we're going to explore in this season. And for us to do that, we had to do this message first. This is an introduction, an introduction to practical theology uh, from a systematic viewpoint, you're gonna see. And, and I'll just, you know, no, I don't, I don't even need to, okay. Uh, no, I don't want to because it just, it just sounds really self-serving. So let me say this, I am in no way I don't, I don't feel I am more qualified than anybody else to do this. Here's what I do want you to know, right? Um, I, I have a master's in practical theology, and I just completed all of my coursework for a doctor of ministry in spiritual formation. So please don't. Please don't. Here, here's what I'm saying. This is all that I'm saying. I'm not up here saying, I am theologian. You will listen, right? That's not my goal. What I am saying is I have spent way too much money and a lot of hours studying these topics, okay? I, I have spent uh, and reading essentially probably eight to 10,000 pages of just theology, whether it's Grudem's book or Franklin's book or anyone in between. Um, I've spent a lot of time in this arena. So I feel comfortable communicating it to you. No way, shape, or form saying I am the theologian of this place. We are the theologians of this place, and we need to embrace that as a body. I think it's just something I do want to, you know, I feel like I have a grace to talk about theology. Am I, am I popping out there? Is my bike popping out? No? No? Okay, then I'll deal with it. All right, so without further ado, theology for everyone, because theology is for everyone. Let's jump in. Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3. Here we go. The pastor of Hebrews says, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. <laughs> I promise I'm not trying to rebuke you right now. It's, just, it's a great fit. Verse 12. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Verse 14, solid food is for those who are mature. Remember this, maturity always creates purity when it's spiritual. Maturity will always create 
purity in your life. So if you need a, a if you need to live a more pure life, a more uh, honorable life before Jesus, there is a maturity in your faith that has to be tapped into. Maturity equals purity. And he says it's only for the mature that begin to eat the food that is given through God's word by the Holy Spirit. So he says, who through, tra- through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Verse 3, here's our declaration. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding as followers of Jesus. In other words, a heartbeat of ours should be to go deeper in our faith. We should not be okay with being simple. We should not be okay with being basic. We should have a desire to be deeper. It should be the Holy Spirit welling up within us and us longing for more Christian maturity, longing for more of the things of God, longing for more intimacy with the Holy Spirit, longing for the things of God. It is something that should be beating within our DNA because we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Uh, Have you ever been in those moments where you just feel like you should be deeper? You're like, wow, we should, be, we should just be deeper. I'm not even talking about church. I'll tell you my first one that comes to mind. Um, when I was in high school, my sophomore year, I went to prom with my buddy's older sister. She needed a date. I thought it'd be a good time, so we went. And we went to dinner, and we went to this really, really nice dinner, just as friends, you know, okay. I can feel the heat coming from the front row. We're just friends as my buddy's sister. Um, and so we go and we sit down at dinner. It's a really nice steakhouse. And as we're all sitting there, I've probably told you this before, uh, she goes to order and she says, yeah, I think I'll have the filet mignon. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I just felt like even the waiter was like, <laughs> do you mean the filet? <laughs> right? Uh, But here's another one. I have a friend who's a pastor, and this this oil tycoon wanted to take him to a really nice dinner, and he said, man, the guy fit the stereotype perfectly, big handlebar mustache, big hat, and he shows up, and I'm buying for everybody, so y'all sit down, order whatever you want, and it came time for him to order, and he's looking through the menu. It's this beautiful Italian restaurant, and he says, yeah, he says, why don't you give me that chicken parmigazzani? We should be a little deeper than that. (laughs) It should be a little more understanding. How about this one? This one was really funny. Um, I was at Cotton On at the Woodlands Mall, and I was standing behind somebody who, they they ask you for your email, right? And so they they said at the desk, the lady said, hey, can I get your email? And the customer said, yeah, sure. It's uh, like Jack's Jack's jumping, whatever, I don't know, whatever it was. But she, and they said, would you spell that for me? And she said, yeah, sure. She said, J is in juice, A is in apple, X as in hexagon. <laughs> I was like, wait, God, I mean, I had to walk away. I was like, oh, no, oh, no. And the store clerk was like, do you mind again? What is it? it, it you know, X as in hexagon, the shape, right? It's like, eh. And I was, wow, like... By the way, 
if you're not getting any of these, <laughs> if none of these are registering with you, if you're like, what's he talking about? I don't get it. <laughs> we have something that we say, bless your heart. <laughs> Here's another funny one. Friend of mine, we laugh about this all the time. Another country boy from Conroe just finished preaching at the Ark in Conroe, and he came up to me and he said, man, I love that sermon. It was so good. I want to preach like that. How do you do that? And I said, I just plagiarized scripture. And he said to me, really? And he said, he said now what do you mean by plagiarize? Listen, again, we should have a little more. We should know what chicken parmesan is, right? I'm not, I'm not, and just making fun of, these are all really, really fun moments, and I have been the victim. Well, I haven't, but my wife's done a lot of these too, so they've been, <laughs> they've been really, really funny. But there, there are times, right, where we just say to ourselves, there should be a little more, even spiritually. You know what? I shouldn't be battling this over and over. I shouldn't be struggling with this over and over and over. What, is, what am I missing that others may have and it is this it is this longing and desire to grow deeper in fact and guys I know you don't have this I just added this this morning let's go to Proverbs chapter 1 listen to what Solomon says about wisdom versus simplicity I want you to hear this this is so powerful Solomon says this let's start Proverbs 1 starting in verse 1 he said there are these are the Proverbs of Solomon David's son king of Israel he was the wisest man to walk the face of the planet outside of Jesus it says verse 2 their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. What are the purpose of the Proverbs? To teach wisdom and help us understand the insights of the wise. Now listen, he says, verse 3, their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple. They are, in other words, wisdom to the simple. It is okay to be simple. It is okay to be simple. It's not okay to only be simple. You have to have an integrated depth about you. You have to have a depth that is integrated that can come out in simplicity. What are we doing right now? We are taking the depth of theology and we are bringing it to a place of simplicity, but you are understanding there is a depth that comes along with it. So let's continue on. Listen to what he says uh, in verse 20. He says, wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowd along the main street. Those gathered in front of the city gate. How long? You simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? In other words, how long will you just settle for simplicity? When will you long to be deeper? When will you long to experience more? When will you ask yourself the tough questions? When will you explore the meaning of life? When will you find out what you truly believe about God? When will you dive into what salvation is, who Christ was and is and is today, and the power of the Holy Spirit? He's saying, how long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share it with my heart with, with you and make you wise. 
I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm and disaster engulfs you like a cyclone and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When the cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me, for they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they will eat the bitter fruit of their own way, choking on their own schemes, for simpletons turn away from wisdom. Wow. Here, here's my, my goal, my heart. Is, what I want to do is inspire you to long for something deeper to maybe break the stereotype that Christianity should be as simple as possible so that everyone can get it, cookies on the bottom shelf, you know, only swim in the shallow end, all of those things. I'm all for those things. I am all for those things. If those things lead us to a deeper understanding and relationship with Jesus, I am for simplicity. I'm as simple as it gets. Every time you come here, I'm going to have three points. I'm going to be as simple and as clear as it gets, but I want the simplicity to be integrated with a depth to be integrated with something deeper. It doesn't have to be deconstructed and complex. It can be deconstructed and reconstructed into something that's clear and simple, but we have to go through the process of diving deeper. So um, here, here's what I want you to know. There is greater for you. God wants to meet you there, and he wants to take you to a place in your faith deeper than you've ever been, but you have to be willing to go there. I love this C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see, but because by it I see everything else. Isn't that good? In other words, he's saying, my worldview, everything that I see now, I see through the lens of Christianity, through the lens of faith. I had a professor say, if you go up and preach to fix people's problems, they'll find more problems. If you go up to preach to fix people's theology, they'll solve their own problems. So what we wanna do is fix theology. We wanna create clear foundational theology that we can fix our own problems with. That's your homework. The homework of this is not to fix, I'm not gonna come up here and fix your problems. It's for you to go fix your problems with an understanding of how theology is formed and how it plays into our life, okay? So today is the introduction. As you can tell, I'm 19 in and we haven't had a point yet, right? Today is the introduction to theology and here is what we we all have to understand, okay? If we are going to explore our theology, the doctrines of our faith, which we're going to do every week of this summer, okay? We have to understand this. And, and anybody who works with me knows I'm a, I'm a whiteboard fanatic. I love a good whiteboard. So do you guys have the, the, I did my own whiteboard session. And, okay, here it is. Let me, let me walk you through this. If you use Sermon Notes, the app Sermon Notes, this is an attached PDF. But uh, here, is, here is what we have to understand for the rest of the summer, okay? So if you're going to come the rest of the summer, it's not going to make sense if we don't have this to walk through, all right? Let me run you through it. Practical theology is formed by three things, okay? It is experience, influence, and scripture. We, we will call this our worldview, 
What shapes our worldview, what shapes our practical theology is what we've experienced, what has influenced us, and scripture as the bottom line and should be the filter for the first two to flow through. Think about this in your own experience, right? What happened? First of all, I had an experience. I met Jesus through a cassette tape, through a VBS, through a kid's camp, through a church worship service. I had the experience, right? I prayed, I prayed a prayer, I had my friends invite me, everything else. So then you have this experience that happens and then you begin to be influenced by different things, whether it is uh, friends or church or podcasts or sermons or whatever. There is these influences that come in and they begin to influence your theology and then hopefully you make it to scripture. Now the big challenge that we face today is biblical illiteracy and here's what happens. We form our theology from our experience and influence with no truth. If you want to secularize this, change scripture to truth. So then all of a sudden we have, well, my experience, my influences, and my truth. That's what forms my worldview. That's what leads my theology. And, and here is what, so this is why we have to have the first three right. So today, all we're going to spend time on is getting the first three right. Once the first three are right, Here's where we will go the rest of the summer, okay? Orthodoxy, orthopathy, orthopraxy. Those are complicated words. Let's integrate some simplicity, okay? Here is integrated simplicity. Orthodoxy is the right beliefs. So when I'm forming my theology, I have to have the right belief. Now, if I've had a bad experience, it can influence the right belief, right? If I've had bad influences, it can influence the right belief. But if I have the scripture aligned, I've either healed or rejoiced from my experiences and I have the right influences, my worldview is in a place where I can form the right belief. That's orthodoxy. Orthopathy, path is the heart. Orthopathy is the right belief. Now I take it and I have the right heart because of it, it transforms my heart. It changes my heart. It does something in me. You'll see I've included scripture here. Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 2, 2 through uh, 1 through 22, talks about the Holy Spirit being the interpreter of the heart. It takes what God's word says and it interprets it into our heart in a way of transformation, okay? And then the third is orthopraxy. That's practice. It's the right practice. We talking about practice, right? So here's how this works. And this is what it means. So let's form a definition for theology, okay, based upon what it is. Orthodoxy, orthopathy, orthopraxy. Theology is what I believe about God, how it impacts my heart, and changes the way I act. What is practical theology? It is how it is having what I believe about, say it, let's, let's do Jesus, Practical theology, let's interpret our theology of Jesus. My orthodoxy is, I believe Jesus saves. Because I believe Jesus saves, he's the savior of the world, then it impacts my heart, it changes me. It, cha it changes me to a person of love. It changes me to a person of grace. It changes me to a person of mercy. It changes me to a person who is pursuing now the gospel. And how does it play out in my practice? Because I believe Jesus saves and it transforms my heart into a person of grace and love and mercy and hope, then all of a sudden I am compelled by the gospel to be gracious, to be loving, to be kind, to share the truth of God's word, right? That's how this works together. Now you understand what I was saying when someone says, well, it's just not theological enough for me. What do you mean by that? 
What do you mean? Well, I just, not enough Greek words. Not enough historical context. Not enough. Look, we, we'll, we'll take something as simple as Jesus and we'll walk through and you form the theology of Jesus. Now, you want to go deeper than this, but we want to integrate simplicity with it. We want to have an integrated simplicity in our theology, okay? So, making sense? Yes? No? We there? Okay, we've got clarity here. We're going to form our worldview, and then all summer long, here are the three points. You want to cheat and work ahead? Whatever it is we're covering. If it's God's Word, it is what do I believe about God's Word? How does it impact my heart? And what do I practice because of it? If it's the church, what do I believe about church? How does it impact my heart? What do I practice because of it? If it's the Holy Spirit, it's what do I believe about the Holy Spirit? How does it impact my heart? And what do I do because of it? How does my practice change because of it. If you want a great place to follow for your daily devotional life, this is the right place. I read my Bible. Now, how does it align what I believe? How does it impact my heart? And what am I going to do today to serve Jesus, right? Uh, It's a great place to go with it. So here's where we're going to be. And I promise you, once we finish this, we're rolling through all summer long. Let's talk about number one, experience. And, and I want to kind of help you paint the picture of how experiences help us form our worldview and interpret our theology, right? We either have to do mainly one of two things with our experiences. Number one, we either have to heal from them because they were bad. Or number two, we have to rejoice about them because they were good. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, the pastor of Hebrews continues on. And listen to what he says, and I'll I'll make it super clear for you. He says, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. And who then turn away from God? It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Here's what he is saying. Once you have experienced, if that experience does not change you, nothing will. Once you have experienced the truth of Jesus, once you've experienced the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, if you by choice choose to reject and to walk away from that, then nothing's going to change you. If the supernatural won't change you, don't expect the natural to do it. If the supernatural is not going to transform, don't expect the natural. He's saying is our experiences are formative. They begin to form what we believe about theology. Good experiences, we rejoice. A great example is the Apostle Paul. He has an experience on the Damascus Road with God descending, and all of a sudden he meets Jesus. He is transformed. It's a good experience. It changes who he is. These, I, I pray about this all the time, and I want to compliment at this point all of you really and our kids team. My kids love church. My kids love to come to church. My son wants to come early with me. He wants to stay late with me. He wants to run through these chairs. He wants to play with your kids. He wants to steal your candy. He wants to do everything. He loves church. That is a good experience for him. He's going to grow up and he's going to say, I loved church as a kid. That's forming his theology. He's falling in love with the church. Then there are those who've had bad experiences. Maybe you've been hurt deeply by the church. Maybe your dad was a pastor and he was great at church and he was an absolute jerk at home. 
Maybe you've had experiences that have caused you to interpret theology in another way. The children of Israel are a great example. Their experiences led them to rebellion over and over and over. We have to look at our experiences from childhood till now, and we have to ask ourselves, how have the things I've experienced impacted my theology? I'll give you, I told you you're going to have homework. That's part of the homework. I'll, I'll give you a really easy example. For me, salvation was spiritual adoption. I didn't have a dad around. Um, my dad was, was always in trouble. He spent half my adult life in prison, uh, and he's, he's passed away since then. And me not having a dad around left this giant gap of rebellion and trouble and always acting up, just trying to satisfy what I was missing, okay? So salvation for me was spiritual adoption. I found dad. I saw Jesus as the fulfillment of the father to the fatherless, and all that I longed for was satisfaction, was hope, was purpose, was the love of a father. When I read that we call him Abba, I tear up because it's such an intimate term of father. Like, I found the father that I looked for. So who is God to me? He's father. He has fulfilled the longing of my heart for it. But I have a friend whose dad was an absolute jerk. He was abusive verbally, physically. He treated his whole family terribly. He worked too much and came home and took it out on everybody. So when we call God Father, what do you think he thinks? Angry. Is he mad at me? Is he coming down on me again? When he doesn't answer my prayer, did I screw something up? Did I disappoint dad? Is this part of it? I guess I deserve this. Since what I deserve. Do you see how two different experiences can interpret theology? For me, it was great because I can look back on it and say, thank you, God, that I walked through that season because I know now that only Christ can satisfy me as a father. And then my friend is saying, I have to release and heal what happened to me when I was a kid so that I can love and embrace the father as I should. It is our experience that begins to interpret our theology. So moving forward, we need to seek to experience God daily, communally, and corporately. We need to gather together at dinner parties. We need to gather together in groups. We need to gather together at summer activities. We need to gather together as a church, and we need to meet with God alone and begin to form experiences that can heal, redeem, or we can rejoice from so that we can accurately interpret theology. My friend who had a tattered relationship with his dad had a broken theology of God for years for years grew up thinking God was mad at him, angry with him, frustrated with him. And here's what happened. He was living out of experience and influence and didn't have scripture. He didn't even understand the love of God, the compassion of God, the care of God. And once he began to walk through those things, he healed his relationship with his dad and he healed his theology so that now he is complete when he walks in living theologically with God, okay? So the first is experience. We got to go. Um, second is influence. Oh, this is a good one. We've got to talk about influence because uh, I, I don't know that there's ever been a time where there are more things that are fighting for our attention. There are literally billion dollar companies that are totally studying how do I capture more of their attention and how do I monetize it? 
How do I get you to spend two hours and three hours and four hours on here so that I can sell you more ads and sell you more ads and sell you more ads? I mean, it is, it is a time, you talk about big business and big tech, the number one thing right now for selling on the internet is our attention. And we buy yours. We do Google ads and Facebook ads and everything else. But I mean, it's, it, is, it is the market right now. And we have to understand that there are voices and influences out there that can absolutely mess our theology up. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared when the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Listen to this, verse 3. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to the sound of wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, a la the influencer market. Who's going to tell me what I want to hear? Who's going to tell me the diet I want to follow? Who's going to tell me the path to happen? And I'm not bashing on influencers. I know we have some, and God bless you. But it is. It's, it's a market for attention. And do I like what they say, or do I not like what they say? Will I continue to follow them, or will I unfollow them, right? So he says, they're clamoring for wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and find teachers who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Verse 5. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. We have to understand this. The things we allow to influence us also interpret our theology. And here's the litmus test. And I don't know why. It drives me nuts. I think Christians would rather listen to Instagram than scripture most of the time. It drives me insane. All of the stuff I hear is from Instagram. It's not from scripture. All of the promptings that I hear are from Instagram, not from the Holy Spirit. Here's your litmus test. If your screen time number is more than your Bible time number, things are backwards. Screen time pops up and says, you spent four and a half hours on Instagram this week. And you're like, I think I read my Bible a total of 45 minutes. That's what you're allowing to influence you. And when those things are influencing you, you will be led by them. Let me, t let me tell you, you want story time with Uncle Luke? Okay, I've got a really good story for you. You ready? This is completely true, by the way. Follow along with me. This is 100% true. <laughs> I, it is. It's true. I'm not lying to you. I'm standing in the pulpit in front of an open Bible. I can't lie right now. Here's the full story. It's completely true. Just after sundown on October 30, 1938, aliens invaded America, landing in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, not far from Princeton University. Professor Richard Pearson was standing watch at Princeton's observatory. He saw blue flames erupting from Mars and saw the alien aircraft land in Grover's Mill. He arrived at the scene with first responders and, was, and, and, was, and saw the spaceship still steaming with a scratching noise coming from inside. As they begin to examine, an explosion of alien massacre erupted. On-site reporter Carl Phillips broadcast this chilling report across CBS radio airwaves. Here's what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing I have ever witnessed. 
I can see two saucers peering out that black hole. Two luminous disks. Are they eyes? It might be a face. But that face, it's indescribable. I can hardly force myself to look at it. The eyes are black and gleam like a serpent. The mouth is V-shaped with saliva dripping from its rimless lips that seem to quiver and pulsate. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the alien and it leaps right at an advancing men. It strikes them head on. Good Lord, they turned into flames. Now the whole field has caught fire. The woods, the barns, the gas tanks, the automobiles. It's spreading everywhere. It's coming this way. At this point, Philip's voice cut out, followed by the eerie hiss of radio silence. Five seconds later, the report resumed and announced America's worst fear. Aliens had landed on the eastern seaboard. National Guard had been called in. Sirens rang to evacuate Manhattan. The Secretary of Interior made a national announcement for Americans to stay and fight to preserve human supremacy. Then came word of more alien landfall. First Chicago, then St. Louis. People fled in terror. They took refuge in churches. Pregnant women went into labor early, and people even committed suicide. Looting broke out in the streets. One woman ran into a church prayer meeting in Indianapolis, and she screamed, New York has been destroyed by aliens. You might as well go home. The end of the world is here. Life as we knew it was over. Here's the backstory. You ready? I told you it was true, 100% true. A 23-year-old actor and director named Orson Welles founded the Mercury Theater on the Air. It was a news radio program on CBS. It was of the time slot right after the most popular news show in America. Radio, at this point, was a new art form. It was in its golden era, ripe for creative exploration. It was the first medium to blur the lines between news and entertainment. The problem for Orson was his show wasn't doing very good. He needed listeners or he was going to lose his time slot behind the most popular news show in America. So he bought the rights to H.D. Wells' novel, The War of the Worlds. He simplified it to an hour-long program, updated the setting from England to modern-day New Jersey, and he went for it. On the night that his program went live, the news station that was before him stopped their programming 17 minutes early. So you have the entire country listening, expecting news, and you have Orson Welles' program interrupting that for breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, aliens have landed. Actually happened. Absolute chaos. It is hard to measure the scope of the damage that it created. The New York Times front page the next morning was a wave of mass hysteria hits America. Adolf Hitler even weighed in on the situation by saying, this is evidence of the decadence and corrupt condition of democracy. Literally threw the entire world into pandemonium for a day. 
I think this, this story is a metaphor for something we have to really evaluate in our hearts. Andrew Yang, who was Democratic presidential candidate in 2020, I actually liked him. Like, oh, he said he liked a Democrat, right? He, was, he said the number one threat to terror in America is synthetic video. He said one video that goes viral of something that didn't happen, people will react like chaos. They'll burn cities down, they'll break out windows, they'll revolt, they'll go absolutely crazy. It's the things we allow to influence. I want to ask you this question. What do you allow to influence you? What is leading you right now? Moving forward, we as Christians, we have to commit to this, to be Holy Spirit led. We are called to be one thing, and that is spirit-led. We are called to have one thing lead us, and that is the spirit. I'm not news-led. I'm not radio-led. I'm not Google-led. I'm not social media-led. I'm not politics-led. I'm not people-led. I am spirit-led, and to discern that is getting harder and harder unless we have the truth. We have to have the truth. That's where we're going to finish, with Scripture. What's the last thing I need to interpret my theology, to correct my worldview so that I can understand what I believe, how it impacts my heart, and how I'm going to practice it in my life? The last one is Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, and I'm going I'm to do a whole theology on Scripture, so I'm, I'm going to breeze through this. We'll, we'll come back to this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I love 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Says, therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. These are not just words that are mere human ideas. He says, they are, you accepted what we said is at the very beginning, the word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. I think it's important for us to clarify. This is, this is living and active, Hebrews 4.12, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting bones and joint and marrow to the deep places of our heart. But when we say it's living and active, John chapter 1, 1 through 4, it says in the beginning, the word already existed. That's the Greek word logos. It's what we call the word, the scripture. It already existed in the beginning. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. In other words, this is living and active. It is the written Jesus. It is the written clarity that we need so that we can dig deeper and begin to filter our experiences and our influences through the truth of God's word so that we can form theology and form a theology that changes my beliefs, that impacts my heart, and changes what I do. Who in here has seen uh, The Notebook? Come on, come on. Who in here cried to The Notebook? Ah, I knew it, man! No, I'm just kidding. I love a sensitive, sentimental man. I did too. Man, my grandfather had Alzheimer's. I watched that movie and I was like, <laughs> you know, it was just, oh, it was such a good, but I mean, the whole premise of the movie is what? 
It is Allie and Noah fall in love. They get separated. They come back together. They get married. She gets Alzheimer's. They go to a home together. And what does he do every day? He reads her their story from the notebook, right? And he reads it over and over every day. And the doctors are telling her she's not going to remember anything. She's forgotten everything. And the last thing that she forgets is him, right? So he's there. He's serving her. He's reading her their story. And he reads it every day. And then finally, towards the end, something beautiful happens. No, you're going to cry. Allie lights up and she sees the story, but it's more than a story. She realizes it's her. And she realizes she's looking at Noah. And for a moment, in spite of all the doctors, things that they said would never happen and this would never happen, she remembers. And she remembers who she is. She remembers who he is, and she remembers their story. We've got to understand something. Everything that you want to know about yourself, that you deeply desire to know about yourself, everything that you want to discover about yourself, your identity, who you are, who you're called to be, the purpose of life, what God wants to do with you, what calling looks like, what being part of a community of faith looks like, all of these things that you want to know, you have to understand are here, and we have to go deeper than just our experience and just things that have influenced us to Scripture, to find out exactly who God has crafted us to be. Not a, not a big climactic ending or anything like this, but I just, I want to I remind us where we're headed. We should be a people that long to be deeper. We should be a people. We want to stay integrated simplicity, but we long to be deeper. And that pursuit of being deeper is either understanding and rejoicing about our experience or healing from experiences that we've had so that we can find the proper things to influence us, the right things to influence us. And then we filter it all through Scripture so that we will form theology. And we're going to form it through the right belief, the right heart, and the right practices.